Hey, have you been listening to a Goofy Movie Minute podcast? I don't think so. What's that about? Well, each episode covers a single solitary minute of beloved 90s classic, A Goofy Movie. Oh, that sounds awful. It's actually not bad. They talk about the songs, the animation, the background characters, and the really strange details and plot points of that movie. Oh, oh, do they talk about Powerline or Lester's Possum Park Uh and Bigfoot? Now you're getting it. Well, who's on the podcast? You are. I am too. Goofy? I'll subscribe now on iTunes or Stitcher. A Goofy Movie Minute. It's not bad. It's better than bad. Good. That's a growler. Welcome back to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one nervous dating activity at a time. I'm Bobby from Growler Media, and today I have with me once again, Johnny. Hello, hello, hello. And we also, since this is the romantic minute of the movie, we both have our wives with us. So we have Carrie, my wife, here with me. You might know her from the LDS dating podcast that we co-host together, but have not done in quite a while. But yeah, Carrie's here. Hi, Carrie. Hello. And Mackenzie is also here. Mackenzie is Johnny's wife, and she is from being his wife. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Mackenzie's here. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) So... We're excited to have all you guys here on the podcast today, but Johnny did bring something to my attention the other day that the last episode that we recorded with Janae, she made a joke about not doing the podcast anymore, (laughs) and then she's been gone for the last two episodes. So Janae is not gone. She just had some work training stuff uh, the last few weeks, so wasn't able to record. So she'll be back. Don't be scared. (laughs) So yeah, today we are talking about minute 61 of Beauty and the Beast, which starts off with Potts singing about the rough start that Belle and Beast's relationship had um, as they are going down the stairs on their first formal date. And it ends with Mrs. Potts singing Tune as Old as Song while we start the famous zooming swooping in shot from above. Woohoo! Cool. It's going to be a good minute. <laughs> Don't yeah. you guys think this is like, this is my favorite song of the whole movie. Don't you guys think this is like the best last minute, this minute, the next minute? They're the best minute. It's definitely the most critically acclaimed song in the movie. And I mean, Angela Lansbury, it's hard to top those vocals. And especially with the story behind it of of the recording session and everything. It's pretty awesome. Tale as old as time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's the one. So does anybody have any uh, any notes to start off the minute? You mean like the beginning? Like the beginning? Like the first second of it. I don't know if it's the first second. The first little part of it when Mrs. Potts is singing and they start coming down the stairs and Mrs. Potts and Chip like look at them coming down the stairs. They both like take this deep breath in at the same time. Like both of them are inhaling at exactly the same rate. Mm-hmm. And it's like this big romantic <gasps> Uh, sigh it's really yeah. cute yeah yeah right up until the dogman comes and like almost trips bell well and then they're like coming down the stairs they are not looking where they are walking yeah no. they're staring deeply into each other's eyes the beast has paws okay and bell is probably in heels and they're like coming down the stairs looking at each other down like a hundred million stairs i would fall <laughs> 
And then the dog ottoman comes like, how are they not falling down the stairs? It's magic. The enchanted castle doesn't want them to fall. It looks like <laughs> Belle actually has flats on, which you can kind of yeah. see a little bit. So that's that's smart of her because, you know, she's got a big, huge dress. So you never see her feet. Well, she is the kind of princess who would wear flats. So, yeah, yeah I was going to say, I just uh, got a, a frame here at somewhere between second six and seven. And you can see her foot coming down and she's definitely wearing slippers. But then she's like holding up part of her dress and it forms a little heart in her dress, like the, the bottom of the skirts. Oh, oh that's yeah. cute. On the same note as her dress, I noticed it's actually a two-tone dress and, you know, it's gold. And I feel like I've just been lied to by all the Disney toys that and the costumes that always have it as this uh, solid yellow dress. And it's actually gold and orangey. Mm. Yeah, it is two colors of yellow. Not even yellow. I mean, it's gold and orange. There's no yellow. Yeah, well, it's like, you know. It's a lie. It's, a yellow, it's lie. a yellow gold. It's not like a champagne gold. So I'm wondering if like somebody, like who let the dog in? Like, did somebody forget to, to put him out? Because this is obviously like a big moment, you know, and everybody's excited about it. You would think, you know, whenever you have guests over, you know, you always put the crazy excited yippy dog away somewhere where he doesn't like jump up all over everything. So I was just wondering if like... <laughs> They overlooked and forgot to put the dog somewhere. And then he's just like super excited running around everywhere. And, you know, Belle's like, she doesn't care. You know, she's and Beast is like, oh, my gosh, like, don't fall. <laughs> so I had a thought about they come down the stairs and Mrs. Potts and Chip are on the cart. And then like the cart moves and goes to follow them wherever they're going. But like, is the cart animated? Like, is the cart alive? Or is like Mrs. Potts controlling the cart with the force? or something like she does i mean obviously she can't walk she's like driving it you know like is she using like the momentum of her body to like move the cart it's like a segue you just lean forward and it rolls forward yeah like so is the cart animated or is it or is mrs potts controlling it my opinion is that the cart is an animated object and not a person that has been turned into an object Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I think it's cool how they're following them. Like, they're just gonna, like, gonna tag along behind them, see where they're going. Like, I mean, that's, I feel like we're, we're kind of seeing this through Mrs. Potts' eyes, I feel like, cause she's narrating to us and she's gonna yeah. follow them. And it's, it's kind of weird, you know, when you, if you go on a date, then you have like, I don't know, like your grandma there following you around. But <laughs> I mean, I think at this point they, you know, they don't even notice them, you know. Well, you got to think of her more as the, I don't even know what to call it, but she's the the head of like the kitchen type of person. So she's not just there at the bottom of the stairs watching them come down. She's there at the bottom of the stairs being like, okay, let me walk y'all to your dinner that we've prepared for you. And so, you know, she's following them, but taking them to the, the dinner that's been prepared for them. She's their guide for the evening. Well, do you think she's like the head of the kitchen or do you think she's like, I can't, oh my gosh, I can't think of her name. It's like, I want to reference Downton Abbey. You <laughs> the, know, head, the head lady on Downton Abbey? Yeah, like the head lady. She's not in charge of just the kitchen. She's in charge of like everything. She's like second in command to the head butler guy, the butler. So I feel like that's Mrs. Potts role, not like the head of the kitchen or the chef she's like you know the second in command to like cogsworth probably it's kind of confusing because we know that cogsworth is the head of household and lumiere is the major d but then it definitely seems like at least uh for be our guest that mrs potts is the one kind of coordinating the cooking and what's going on and then 
in the early the early screenplays for the movie she was you know she definitely had a more assertive role as the head of the kitchen area so that was a little more clear in in that earlier screenplay i was just wondering as beast and bell they're coming down the stairs they're walking towards us and she's just i mean they're just locked in each other's gazes so i was wondering like is she just staring deeply into his eyes or is she like looking at him like oh man he cleans up really nice he doesn't smell anymore look he combed his hair you know like i feel like does he have a ponytail <laughs> yeah he does he has a ponytail you never notice it oh uh, no i never noticed his ponytail i mean it really honestly it takes them so long to walk down the stairs she probably had all of those thoughts and so many more like oh, yeah I don't think you can adequately comprehend how many thoughts women can have. <laughs> rapid, like rapid fire. <laughs> it kind of makes sense, though, because at the end, you know, she sees his eyes and she's like, oh, yeah, these are your eyes. And I never thought yeah. about it before, but she probably spends a lot of time looking at his eyes because he's not like very good looking as a monster beast you know it's not like she's like oh yeah. you look so good i'm attracted to you because of your looks she's like totally only into him as a person she's not in it for the money or maybe she is yeah <laughs> <laughs> She can see the money. Uh, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Well, I'm pretty she walked up to the castle, so <laughs> maybe she's like, Well, he's so rich, I can guess I can deal with his looks like I guess I could be married to a beast. This animation as they're coming down the stairs is just like so perfect. Cause I feel like it's it would be something hard to draw because they're coming towards the camera, so they're constantly getting bigger and mm -hmm. bigger and they just did such a great job on it. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely uh, I mean, these few minutes here, but this one, we're going to see this part in the ballroom scene. And these are not just like, oh, these look really good, but they're actually like critically acclaimed, well-known, amazing bits of animation It's for the time. And then the, the technology that they use, especially in the ballroom scene, when we get into that, it's it's pretty amazing what they were able to do with the technology that they had then and how good it still looks today. I love that episode when you guys had the animator on and we're talking to him. That was yeah. like so awesome. Tony Bancroft for the win. I took animation as part of my, like I had to have two classes of it as part of my degree. And it was so hard and time consuming and tedious. I was like, this is not for me. This is too hard. Like the, you have to think about so many things and it takes so long just to do like one shadow of one part of one thing and like you have to think about where the light's coming from and all this stuff it's like they really do like so much work it's so crazy mm -hmm. yeah i read something that said it took every single frame took from four to six hours yeah, that's, that's why these movies take so long to make. Like, yeah. and it takes so many people. And now, especially with all the crazy movies they're making, like with all the CGI stuff. I mean, yeah. oh my gosh, they take forever, and they have thousands of people that have their hands on those. You know? Yeah. Well, that's how it is. Whenever you're making anything for production value, I mean, even this podcast. Besides the time that we spend recording it, so like we might spend an hour recording an episode, and then I'll spend another three hours editing it to get a 30 minute episode so the, the finished episode that you guys are hearing i actually spent like six hours on it <laughs> with the prep time recording time editing and publishing and then you listen it at twice speed so you just get like 15 minutes <laughs> compresses it even further well i listened to it at three times speed because i already listened to it like seven times editing it <laughs> 
Johnny really wants to make a podcast about my passion, Korean dramas. <laughs> and I'm like, I will watch those Korean dramas and I will talk about them all day. But that's where I draw the line. Like, I do not want to do the extra work to make a podcast out of it. Yeah, it's usually pretty funny. Most of the, at least with the Movies by Minutes podcasts, it seems like there's always one person that's like, um, I'll talk about it, but that's about it. And then <laughs> there's the other person that's like, okay, I'm going to do all the editing. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. But if you love it. Speaking of work that doesn't get any pay, I spent probably about half an hour trying to figure out what the painting is um, when they sit down to dinner. They're at this ridiculous huge table, and I guess it's a tapestry. It looks more like a tapestry than a painting, but right there above the center of the table, I was like, that's got to be based on some painting. And we've seen a few of them in this in the movie so far where the artists, the animators, they went in and did not like copying a famous painting, but you know, did a version, a parody of a famous painting on the walls. And so this one is like, man, it's got to be something. But I couldn't find anything. The closest I got was maybe looking at some of Rembrandt's landscapes. He had a few that were like similar, but like the specific landscape with the trees. And it looks like there's like a statue and then maybe like a woman yeah. there standing at the bottom. Bottom. I, I couldn't find one that matched. Looks like a, a statue of a knight or something. Yeah. Did you look up Raphael? Because I'm pretty certain that Raphael, you know, just before skipping ahead to the, the ballroom painting on the ceiling, you know, like it's reminiscent of like the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. And Michelangelo did that. But before Michelangelo did the Sistine Chapel ceiling, Raphael had done tapestries in hmm. along the walls of the Sistine Chapel. So I didn't even I did not. pay attention to that painting. I was so overwhelmed by the by the largeness of the table. I just couldn't get over like, can you imagine trying to have a conversation yeah. using your like princess <laughs> etiquette? And you're like royalty yeah. etiquette trying to have a conversation with someone across the table. Like, what if those people needed glasses? They wouldn't even be able to see the person sitting across from them. Yeah, I was like, they're they're having this super romantic, like formal dinner, their first formal date. And yet there's no way that that, I mean, they yeah, they can't talk to each other. They're basically eating by themselves with all this junk in between them. So they probably can't even see each other very well. <laughs> Even if they were like 10 feet closer to each other, they have this giant bouquet of flowers right in the middle. They can't see through that to each other. <laughs> oh, I can't stand that having like a large centerpiece in the middle of the table. I like them to yeah. be like low and flat so that I can still see across the table. Yeah, I don't even like having cereal boxes on the table, like <laughs> a large open space. Did you guys notice the beast's necktie? It's a cravat. Do you guys mm -hmm. know what that is? It's what Beast has on. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny wore a cravat in our wedding. I don't know if you guys remember. Well, Carrie, you wouldn't remember, but... Yeah, um, that sounds familiar. It actually... I did a little bit of digging, and it originated in the 17th century in France. And it was... Like the military wore it. I don't remember why they wore it, but they wore it. And then I think it was Louis VIII was like, oh, I like this. And, you know, and so then it started becoming like more mainstream and they started wearing them in different ways. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And then at the scene at the table where they're eating, he's like holding his cravat back so it's like not in his bowl and I just like I thought that was the funniest thing because I have long hair so I am constantly holding my hair back like I literally pull my hair to the side of my body and hold it with my hand so that I can eat food 
over my bowl without spilling food everywhere and without getting it in my hair. He's really trying here to like make sure he's proper and doesn't spill anything and he's like on his best behavior doing his best. Yeah, and then he's like leaning over his bowl, which is like, I'm like, hey, that's good. Like I am always reminding the kids not like to eat leaning over their bowls so they don't spill food everywhere. (laughs) Lumiere's so proud. He looks like he's about to cry. Yeah, he's like, he's doing it. He's really doing it. And then he looks over at bell like look can you see him look how look how the good he's doing i think that's cool uh on the table scene if you back up just a few seconds you have two candlesticks up on a mantelpiece underneath that big tapestry and then you have another Uh candlestick by bell and then lumiere is the candlestick by beast and i just think that's so cool because lumiere is there like he's right there with the beast the whole time not the whole time not coming down the stairs but i mean he's there helping him out because you remember back whenever the beast was like oh you know like i can't do this you know back up when he was getting ready lumiere was trying to you know give him a pet talking like you can do it you can do it you know and here he is sitting with the beast you know like in case you know maybe the beast needs some encouragement or maybe the beast you know he's just like right there his right hand man kind of right there so helping him out being like okay you know you got this if this was a sitcom he'd be the best friend hiding in the bushes except yeah. he's hiding yeah. on the table in plain sight <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the theory is that this is the Beast's birthday dinner so it's gotta it's gotta be perfect you know Oh, it's the Beast's birthday? Well, his birthday is, you know, in a few hours when the last petal falls. So his pre-birthday celebration dinner. And I actually looked up like the French traditions for birthdays include giving flowers to men or women back in this time for their birthday. And then I counted how many flowers are in the center (gasps) of the table and there are 21. What? What? Whoa, that's intense. Birthday flowers. That's awesome. I love how the coat rack comes up (laughs) and he's like playing the violin. I'm saying he, it could be a she. I don't know the gender of the coat rack, but he like comes up playing the violin. And I feel like Bella's like, ooh, this is my jam. And she like (laughs) runs over and grabs the beast. And he like looks terrified. He looks so nervous. And she like drags him off to the dance floor like... (laughs) That's exactly what I have in my notes. I was, oh, this is my jam. <laughs> we got to dance now. <laughs> Backing up, though, I have a few notes on the dinner table. Some things that I noticed were the their drinks that they have. They each have two drinks. I don't know if one is water and one is wine or champagne. Like, I can't tell because I'm a little bit colorblind. But they're two different colors and they're in two different glasses. One's in like a flute and the other one is more in yeah. like a, a wine glass. I don't know what you would call them. But the beast, he drank. A little bit off each of his and then bell looks like she hasn't touched hers at all you know hers are at the very top uh, and i was just thinking you know the, the beast is probably nervous i know when i'm nervous i like i drink more because i don't know my mouth is dry or, or whatever so i feel like the beast you know sitting down he sits down and drinks a little bit you know maybe he needs maybe if it's alcohol in there he like needs a little bit more alcohol to calm his nerves and stuff and bell she's just <laughs> like calm and cool she's just you know hanging out and i wonder too like how far they've gotten in their meal because i looked up some french like courses i didn't get that far into it so i couldn't tell if soup was like I, I assume they're eating soup maybe an appetizer but based on the cutlery that's on the table they still have it looks like a spoon and a fork on the table so usually from my knowledge from my limited knowledge of fine eating you work from the outside inside so you start off with one piece of silverware and then use that and then the next dish comes and use the next inner one so they still have 
at least two yeah. more courses of food, and who knows how many are on yeah. the other side of their plate. Don't they generally have nine courses? I think I found I I think I found somewhere that said seven courses, but they definitely have a lot of food on that table, and I don't think they've <laughs> been there for very long because Belle looks like she has two pieces of silverware on her right, and then we're seeing the the beast left, and he has two on his left, so they've still got at least four more things they need to eat with their silverware so it's just like at the very beginning you know of eating and then the song comes on and bell's like oh no we gotta dance right now and the beast is just like uh what i thought we were eating dinner you know like and i wonder too if <laughs> dancing was even ever part of it or if it was just like oh you know we're gonna go have dinner and then like this this guy comes out playing this song and she's like oh you know we have to dance and now he's just like whoa dancing what like this was never part of it and I'd like to have, <laughs> there's a, there's a salt and pepper shaker and I can't help but think it's the same salt and pepper shaker that we saw earlier that we're doing the, the snow on uh, Cogsworth. Oh yeah. And it doesn't look like. Probably. It, it, I mean, it seems like, you know, they're part of, and nothing else looked animated on this table besides Lumiere. But I like to think yeah. like a lot more things actually are like the salt and pepper shaker. We saw them, you know, doing their own thing before. And so it's the same ones and they're still there. You know, they're probably just crowded looking at Belle like, oh, this, this is so exciting. And then. Something I noticed uh, around second 22, 21, 20, when Belle rushes over to grab Beast on the left side of the frame, there's a cake and a jello that are there, and they weren't there a minute ago whenever Belle was sitting down. So I wonder if they were more towards the center of the table, and then when she ran over to the Beast, you know, everybody on the table kind of followed her to see what she was doing, you know, like what's going on. They want to like see up close, so like the cake and the jello like scooted up close to Beast's side. Like I can see like, you can't you can't see on the table, but I can just imagine the whole half of the table's all smushed over on Beast's side as everybody crowds around to see what she's doing. I feel like you're really stretching it there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, either, either that He's or... He's just excited for the moment. It's just like magical cakes that appear on the table. <laughs> it's like happens in like a split, like two seconds. Like my reaction time wouldn't even be that fast. I'd be like, wait, where'd they go? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely that... I've been... I've been Going back and forth, scrubbing the minute, and there's definitely like a, that three-layer cake that you see when she goes over to Beast that was not there before. Mm -hmm. And really, I it might have been there, like maybe on the middle you see some cakes, but you know mm -hmm. it's hard to tell if those were the three-layer cakes or not. So I'm not sure if yeah, they were more on Belle's so. side and they ran over, or if that's just cake that magically appeared. And there's just like food like coming up. You know, people are bringing up food constantly as they're eating at the table, like with Belle's. When Belle had her special dinner. Oh, Beast looks so scared when they're going to dance. <laughs> he really does. He looks like really nervous. So I had a couple notes on the violin player and the song. And just, I was just wondering like if the song that he's playing, because we're, we're hearing Mrs. Potts sing this song. And uh -huh. I guess, I mean, she's singing out loud because we can hear her. So obviously they can hear her. But do they hear the music she's singing to? It's like she's singing along to an orchestra playing somewhere. Or is that just music that we're hearing that they're not hearing? Because when, when the violin player comes in and starts playing, I mean, it fits in perfectly with the music that we're already hearing. But I wonder if that's... You know, if if he's just barely starting the song and Belle looks over and she's like, oh, you know, they got the music out. Let's go dance. And so I wonder what, what they can hear and what we can hear as far as the music goes. Yeah, I've never really thought about it, but I would assume that we are hearing something different than what they're hearing. Yeah, that's what I was Agreed. thinking because... 
because the time lapse between them sitting down and walking, you know, there's no time for us. And the song continues. But for them, I feel like, you know, there was some time when they had to go and sit down and stuff. Yeah. And two, I'm not sure if that violin player, if he's playing the right notes. I don't know enough about violin playing to know if like his hands in the right position on the neck for the notes that are changing or not. And then I was wondering if maybe he doesn't need to because maybe the violin's <laughs> alive and it's playing itself and he's just kind of there. He's just holding it. Yeah. <laughs> pretending. Uh. I feel like it's worth mentioning on the feast table that they're drinking a rosé wine because there's this whole rose this rose theme because it's pink you know it's a rosé wine Mm. so they've got a champagne and a rosé wine yeah rosé rose theme Mm. interesting nice i bet the age drinking (laughs) (laughs) oh because how old is she she's 17 it's actually in europe yeah in europe it's actually not illegal they do not have a 21 year old drinking age in germany it's actually 16 right now today in modern times it's 16 is the legal drinking age back then they probably didn't even have a rule yeah (laughs) i mean if you were married and having babies at 17 Probably. You're probably drinking. You're probably like, drinking. <laughs> like in Argentina, it was the weirdest thing to see eight-year-olds walking around with bottles of beer and stuff. And they weren't drinking and then they were buying them for their parents. But it was still really weird. <laughs> see them carrying them? Yeah. Back on the rose theme, I was just wondering if like everything in the castle is rose theme. Like the hand soap in the bathroom smells like roses. And, <laughs> you know, the shampoo. And the macarons. <laughs> Macaron, rose macarons. The Except it wouldn't be like a romantic theme. It would be like torture to them for the 10 years being like, oh, there's the rose. Oh, yeah. The it's rose part is going to die. Curse. Oh, yeah. They can't get yeah. anything but rose. They order they order something and all it comes is the rose flavored thing of it. <laughs> Did you get vanilla? Don't remember. Your time's running out, guys. <laughs> Just like this bar of soap is gone. <laughs> so is your human life. <laughs> <laughs> That's really morbid. I was bringing the morbid side. This movie is really morbid. <laughs> the mortality. It can be. It can be. I always think back to the episode, uh, The Dark Side of LeFou. That was a pretty sad one. I don't remember, but the name is pretty awesome. (laughs) It was the one where we talked about that he looks a lot more cartoony and his face is always weird and his nose is all like big and stuff because Gaston beats him so much. Oh, yeah, because he beats him so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a really sad episode. Permanently disfigured. Um. Speaking of morbid and creepy things, this is something that has disturbed me from childhood about this movie. <laughs> they are walking into the ballroom uh-huh. and Belle is looking at the beast at uh-huh. an unnatural level. Like her neck is turned oh. so far. That is not humanly, like that is not natural. She is overextending her neck as they're walking and like i even noticed this as a kid as a kid it bothered me i have a weird neck thing like i don't like you know strangulation and things like that like it really upsets me for some reason or like if someone touches my neck if a shirt touches my neck and it feels too tight i feel like i'm choking so i maybe that's why but 
watching it in slow-mo, I was like, it's even more disturbing because right at the very end of that part, before it changes scenes, she is turned. She is like looking back at the beast and her shoulders are forward and her head is back. It is like <laughs> straight up exorcist. Like you could see, you could see, you actually see both her eyes. It's not like her head is turned sideways. It's like it's, it's turned to where you, you can see yes. her right and left. Yeah. Eye. I, I don't know. I'm going to have to interject there. I've been I've been trying it as you were talking, and I don't think it's as unnatural as it seems, especially when you think that as they're walking, she's leading with the right side of her body so that the left side, which is where she's holding on to him, is kind of pulled back. So she's leading him to the floor, and then the angle we're seeing her at, you could totally... I mean, it's not comfortable, oh, but... No, I can't do it. I can't look behind yeah, me I, without turning my shoulders. I think if she's if yeah. if you see her turn sideways, like she's not her shoulders aren't square, they're turned more diagonal. Then it then it's okay. Yeah, but it's hard to tell if she's diagonal or if she's more straight because no, I say her shoulders are square to the front, but you and can her see neck her, is behind. You can her. see her can boob see a little bit. Her face. That's what I was gonna say. It looks like she, and the the seam on her back is more to the right. Like you can see more <laughs> of her left waist than her right waist. So she's got to be turned towards the beast. Yeah. It didn't look like that to me, but I'm not looking at it right now. <laughs> Breaking down the angles one minute at a time. <laughs> we look at it frame by frame as you talk about How do I do that right now? Get off my notes and go back to it? Don't do it. It's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never get back to your notes. Yeah, let's not change things. I'm not competent enough. All right. So this brings us into the ballroom scene. And like I said, this is one of the most critically acclaimed pieces of animation out there because it's amazing. And this was the first use of computer animated stuff in a full length feature film. And they did an awesome job and it took a ton of time. And so the ballroom itself was all created in the computer. And it's actually pretty cool. There's a ton of information and like books and all of that kind of stuff on this because it was such like a breakthrough thing. But the, the part that I really liked is that when they were creating it, they this was before Pixar was around. This was in 91. Well, before 91, because the movie came out in 91. But the company Pixar existed. It just wasn't doing movies. So Pixar started out as a computer company, and they had something called the CAPS program, the CAPS system, which is computer animated production system. And so they actually used Pixar's CAPS to create this scene. And I was like, ah, that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Just that this is like the first time they did this. And and it turned out so well and it still looks good today because a lot of times yeah they do things with movies and it's the first time you know and then you watch it and you're like oh wow that was so cool you know and then you know four years later you go back to it and it's aged like horribly and you're like oh that kind of looks really bad you know but i mean this is yeah. just like it still looks as good as the first time they did it and the first time your mind was just blown like this is this is like unbelievable what we're seeing yeah. And even if you think like to um, Toy Story, the first Toy Story movie, and you go back and watch it now and it's still good. But I mean, you can definitely see that it's aged. It's not what we're used to anymore. And the reason I think that the ballroom scene holds up so well is because they recognized when they were creating it that, hey, we can't do the characters in the computer. We don't have the computer power and the talent to do that. Mm -hmm. So they just did the ballroom. They created the ballroom and then used it as a background. And part of the reason why this is so amazing is that they were able to blend the animation of the characters with 
the background that was computer animated and make it work as one and make it look good. Yeah. And uh, just the work that they put into the background because they weren't able to do like traditional animation on the computer animated background. So they had to do it all by computer and like learn how to do all that as they were doing it. <laughs> and it's like, wow, it it's amazing. Yeah, I was just going to say this harkens back to what Tony said about, I, and I forgot who did it, but there was like one guy who was just like the best animator yes. in the world. And he's the only one who could who could do this, who could animate them moving as the as the camera moves in the ballroom, they're moving and to make it look right is just like genius. I mean, there's no other way. And you can see a little bit of it here. You know, we get more of it later on, but right before the, the camera pans up to the ceiling, you know, the beast and Bell are doing a little twirl and then your perspective is moving up through the room at the same time. It's just like, and it, it looks good, you know, it looks natural. Yeah. It's like, that's just incredible. Yeah. So the computer animated background that they did allowed them to get those like real life panning shots and kind of swoop around. But then, like you said, they had the problem of getting the animation to look right as we're moving the camera around. And so the animator you're talking about, his name's James Baxter, born in 1967. He's a British character animator. He's worked on lots of stuff for Disney. He did stuff with for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He did Rafiki for The Lion King, Belle and Beauty and the Beast, Quasimodo and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's worked on The Prince of Egypt, The Road to El Dorado, Shrek, Madagascar, just Kung Fu Panda, tons of stuff. And even now he's he's doing stuff on like How to Train Your Dragon and, and The Croods and stuff. So he's awesome animator. At the time, he was really young. I mean, he was born in uh, 67. So he basically started animating in 1987. And so like three or four years into his animating career, he's working on these main characters. <laughs> and in the, in the movie, he mostly did Belle. But on this scene, he did both characters because they're so intertwined. I mean, they're doing this dance together. It was going to be too hard to have two different animators doing their dancing scene. And so he did both characters. And then Glenn Keane, who was a supervising animator for Beast, he came in afterwards and kind of just did some cleanup on on Beast and kind of, you know, made sure that Beast was beasty enough. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's uh, it's just crazy to think that it, that early in his career, he's able to do this. And you're like, OK, yeah, he did his job. But if you go back and look at this minute, especially when we're getting the the shots moving around and they're they're spinning and dancing and the camera's moving up and down and back and forth and it all looks natural and normal and it's just like whoa yeah I mean I can't even draw a good stick figure. <laughs> <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about the ballroom itself? No, no. The ballroom is gorgeous. <laughs> All of the, like, there's, there's one main chandelier and it's probably like brass, but then there's like 10 other ones or something. There's like one in every little, you know, between each column area. Oh, and the symmetry. Oh, it's so symmetrical. <laughs> that sweet piano. Yeah. The big grand, which in the, in the, uh, I guess maybe is that the same piano as later on? Is there a piano later on when they're fighting? There is, right? Mm. I know there's one in the new movie. I know. I know all I can think of is the new movie, and I haven't I haven't seen this movie enough. And I want to say there is a piano fighting it at the uh, at the end. Yeah, doesn't someone get trapped in it? That the sounds bag? true. I might be thinking of the wardrobe. The wardrobe though. somebody mm. gets trapped in for sure. I think somebody drops the piano on them. I don't know. Anyways, let's just <laughs> say there is a piano later on. When y'all get to it, you'll know. But so there's the <laughs> piano chilling. He, he I don't know if he's playing or not, but playing the music. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be playing. And you have uh, 
on the columns, on the bottom of the columns, wrapped around each one, you have roses and, I don't mm-hmm. know, leaves or something. So you got some more rows coming in. And I was wondering, too, if everything is made out of marble. Because the floor looks like marble, the columns look like marble, and the walls look like marble. So I'm yeah. like, is that, like, real marble or is it painted to look like marble? Because I feel like that would be, like, just so heavy to have those walls made out of marble. And it looks like they're one It's probably piece. a marble veneer. Is that a thing? Marble veneer? Yeah, you can veneer anything. <laughs> well, I mean, but, like, you would have to get the marble so thin to make it a veneer, right? Like... Can you veneer a cat? <laughs> <laughs> can you veneer me? <laughs> If you do it with foil. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it probably would have been like a thick veneer back then. So it's probably like at least, I don't know. Like two inches. Yeah. (laughs) I guess for pieces that big, it's got to be, it's got to be pretty thick. Yeah. It's probably real marble. I don't know. Whatever it is, man, uh, this is like a super fancy castle. Because like, just look at the, I don't know how, how hard it is to do windows back in the day, but the windows on this thing. Mm -hmm. It's a whole wall of windows, man. It's like, yeah. there's got to be flying buttresses on the other side of this thing to support the ceiling, I feel like. I don't know about architecture, <laughs> but... Except there are no flying buttresses on this castle. <laughs> they're supposed to be. He talks about the flying buttresses, but there are no flying buttresses. Maybe they move. That we've seen. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we, we, we've talked a little bit about how, how they had no idea what they were doing when they made this castle and just made <laughs> stuff up as they went along. <laughs> There's no floor plan. Because this ceiling's super heavy and you got these columns holding it up. But in between all the columns is just like huge. I mean, and the glass isn't like one big piece. But it's just like tons and tons of glass, which makes it beautiful and gorgeous. But then you think like during the day, if the sun shines in through there, man, it's going to get so hot in that room. Then you got to have like giant yeah. huge curtains to cover them all up. Well, in the columns, they're not even holding up the ceiling. They're holding up the mezzanine. Yeah. So is there like a walkway up there you can walk? Yeah. Because uh, I was just thinking, man, yeah. that would be super sweet if you're walking on that walkway. Like, that's where I would take Belle after dancing, you know, walk up there and look out the windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's we the We know mezzanine. what you would want to do up there. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I don't think we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I do think we- <laughs> that um, there's this frame that's uh, when Belle puts Beast's paw on her waist and I always just thought, you know, this is why guys like Belle, because she takes initiative, like, she's not all coy about stuff or anything, but, like, that's the picture, I think, of Belle and Beast's relationship. It's like the epitome of them, that she's this bold, confident person, and he's, like, shy and doesn't know how to have a relationship, and he's all shocked that his paw is on her waist. Yeah. <laughs> and I just I just think this is like why guys really like Belle. Like they say it's cuz she's one of the only brunettes or cuz she reads or whatever, but I think this is really it. Like she actually makes moves. She's a strong I think th- I th- yeah, she's very forward. <laughs> but it, I'm glad that you brought that up about oh, she reads. <laughs> Because that has driven me crazy about every single one of your podcasts about this movie to date. Like, oh, Belle reads, oh, blah, blah, blah. No. Okay. The other princesses read as well. In Sleeping Beauty, Aurora is reading. (laughs) There's a scene where she's walking through the woods and she's reading. Rapunzel reads all day long and tangled. She has nothing to do but read and brush her hair. And she paints. Do you see Belle painting? I don't see Belle painting. (laughs) (laughs) she is not even a disney princess she's a computer animated princess 
Rapunzel's a Disney okay. princess. Okay. There's a Barbie of her. <laughs> That's how you know. There's they a Barbie sell her the dress at the Disney section. store, okay? She's the Disney princess. Oh, they don't count Elsa so. and Anna's Disney princesses. What? Well, because no. Elsa's not a princess. Yeah, I was She's a queen. About it. Oh. Elsa's the queen. Well, Anna should be a princess, though. She is a princess. Where, where are they saying she's, she's not a she's, princess? There's a Disney fan club that I looked at, and they said, okay, there's an official like Disney princess franchise, and they said Elsa and Anna are not part of it. Well, but that's mm-hmm. kind of like an older, that's like a marketing thing. There's like this whole marketing thing where Disney will, I forget what it's called, but they will like allow other companies to make their products into things and sell them at stores like Target. Otherwise, they would only be sold at the Disney store or at Disneyland or Disney World. But because they do this, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? They have a program where other retailers can come to them and say, oh, I want to make this product of your thing. And they sign a contract and then Disney allows them to use their, you know, their likenesses or whatever, and they can mass produce this thing. So like what you buy at Target is not going to be the same as what you buy at Walmart is not going to be the same as what you buy at the dollar store, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on and on because each one of those stores, not Mattel making Barbie or anything like that. They're like the store has an agreement with whatever you know, toy manufacturer and Disney to make this other thing. So there's like a Disney princess thing, which I believe is like Belle, Aurora, Cinderella, Snow White. And then sometimes it can even include Jasmine. And I've seen Mulan one time before. Mulan's not a princess. Well, I've seen Mulan one time. But then there's another separate one where Frozen is its own. It's so big that it's its own franchise, like out it gets its own contract of things. So they just only make frozen things. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. They're like, we could, we yeah, can make more money if we parcel this out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's, it's its own thing. So as far as like the marketing side of it, I mean, guess technically they're not, you know, like that wouldn't be like, but I did buy from Target a package and it was Disney princesses and it had Elsa and Anna. It had like nine little Barbies and Elsa and Anna were in it. So. Well, the important thing to remember is that Elsa and Anna don't hold a candle to Belle. <laughs> I mean, you can't even compare. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> I think too. Says anyone. Perhaps maybe Disney and everyone associated with Disney gets a little bit too tied up in princesses. I mean, all little girls are princesses. Everyone, I don't know. Lots of people want to be princesses, but I feel like. Maybe we can pull away from that and say, you know, like there can be a main girl character in a Disney movie that doesn't have to be a princess. You know, like she doesn't have to be in princess to be important. It's not just all about princesses. You know, Ray, Ray, she's not a princess. She's okay, but Ray is something. She's got something going on there. That's true. That's true. But so like, but she's not even Disney. She's I mean, I know she is, but she's not. No, she's Disney. Yeah, that's the best decision Disney ever made. They're raking in the money now. While we're on the topic of princesses, <laughs> uh, in the last minute, there was a mention of like uh, dance scenes being the official like falling in love scene of princesses. Yes. So I looked up how many official Disney princesses there are. There's 11. And seven of them have their falling in love scene or montage, including dance. Oh. Who is Pow. it? 
<laughs> it's Cinderella, Aurora, Ariel, Belle, Pocahontas, Tiana, and Rapunzel. They all have dance scenes falling in love. And then the other four are Snow White, Mulan, Jasmine, and Merida. But they don't they either don't have a love interest or it doesn't happen during dance. dance. It happens on a magic carpet ride or something. And then uh there's rumor that Moana is going to be the official twelfth and she doesn't have a love interest. So Aww. But seven princesses. She loves out her of island. <laughs> She's not a princess. She's the chief's daughter. That's princess. She's the daughter of the village chief. You've got an animal sidekick. <laughs> You're a princess. So yeah, basically, real life, you fall in love when you're dancing. That's what's what. I believe that. That's what we've learned. Oh. <laughs> totally. Um, okay, back to the ceiling. I <laughs> um wait, wait, we're not at the ceiling. We're still dancing. Nope, we're at the ceiling. Wait, wait, go back. So just some notes. <laughs> Reverse, reverse. Just some some notes I had on the dancing or on them dancing or dancing in general. Um, Belle is super tiny. And this is probably mentioned before, but she's super tiny compared to Beast. Like her hands, her head, her whole body. I don't know how big she is, but either he's really big or she's really small. And I'd be interested to see like measure him now. And then when he turns into a human, measure him and see if he like shrinks back down a little bit smaller or if he's this Mm -hmm. big as a human. I mean, obviously his chest can't be this big because I mean, he would just be like, wait, I mean, probably half of him is fur. You know, you get a dog wet and they're like, they look ridiculous (laughs) because they're so super skinny. So most of it's probably fur, but just his height and everything, his hands. You know, like, I don't remember exactly what it looks like when he's transforming back into a human. But I feel like, you know, you can see his paws and then it fades into his hands, you know. So you could kind of tell the size difference there. So I wonder if that's... Yeah. If he comes back down to, like, I want to see them side by side after he transforms back into him and see if, if he still looks ridiculously huge. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he shrinks a good foot, foot and a half. Yeah, he's bigger than her, but I don't think he's near as big as, as he was as a beast. So, His shirt doesn't fit as well. I remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really baggy. So in the in the sound design of this, most of the time we're just hearing the music and there's only a couple couple things. I think the dog barking, uh, the violin playing, which is kind of part of the music too. But then one of the other only sound parts we get in here is the beast gulping. Like he has this big gulp. <laughs> it's such an awkward gulp. And it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like so blatant. Like he is freaking out, you know, like she puts her hand in, in his hand and he's just like, oh man, we got to do this. And then she, you know, puts his hand on her waist and, and she even like draws up close to him, you know, and he's like mm-hmm. taken aback and kind of surprised like, whoa, you are really close to me right now. Kind of freaking out. <laughs> it just, yeah. It's just like, oh man, that's, <laughs> he's so nervous. I could just think back of. You know, some of my first dances, dancing with girls, and it's just like, you're like shaking and nervous, and you don't know what to do, and then you have a girl that comes up, and I've had this before, where she's like a really good dancer, and she just like takes you and leads you on, you know, and... And then finally, you can see him. I mean, when they first start dancing, he's looking down at his feet. And he's just like, okay, you know, this is what we do. This is what we do. And then you see Lumiere and Cogsworth and just like, oh, yeah, look, they're dancing. This is it. I feel like we we watch a lot of K-dramas. And you can always kind of tell in the K-drama whenever the guy and the girl, you know, first off, you know who's going to be together because obviously they're the main characters. So the whole story's about them falling in love. And then there's always comes this time when you're like, oh, man, like, this is it. This is when they're going to kiss because kissing's like a huge big deal so it's like you know and i feel like that's what lumiere and cogs are they're just like this is it you know they're gonna kiss they're gonna fall in love we're gonna be free 
Like, this is the moment they've been waiting for. And then it comes back to the beast, and they're, like, turning around and dancing on the loop. And then this is where he, like, he kind of looks away from his feet, looks at his hand, looks at his other hand. He's like, hey, I remember how to do this. You know, like, I got this. And right here in this moment, when he takes the lead, Mrs. Potts is singing the line. And let me see if I can pull up where it's at. Both a little scared? You're going to have to cut up. Right, right after. Oh, ever just as sure is what she says. Mm. And this is when he gets, you know, I feel like he becomes more sure as she's singing about it being sure. And I was just like, wow, that's like, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they did a good job on, on timing the what's happening in the scenes to the words. Like uh, when he starts using the spoon, you know, that's when she says just a little change and and he's using the spoon and learning how to eat properly or showing that he's learned how to eat properly. Yeah. And, you know, his face is, which is both a little scared. He's got this the scared dancing face and his gulp. So they, they did a good job lining up the lyrics with his reactions. And we're definitely seeing her describing more of what's going on with Beast on the unsure and scared side and, and Bell's kind of making things happen. I love after a minute, though, like he does, the beast does get his confidence. And then he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he like sweeps her away, you know. He yeah, like, like gets second 43, up. he's like, I got this. I can do it. <laughs> so cute. Because, you know, he knows how to dance. It's just been 10 years, maybe a little more since he's, uh, since he's danced with anyone. That was probably just like riding a bike, you know. You just get back on and you're good to go. And I wonder, too, what kind of dance they're doing. Um, I don't know. Maybe I think we'll it see, looks uh, like a waltz. Next minute. I feel like there's a definite like one, two, three, one, two, three. I don't know that that correlates to the music that we're hearing though. Okay, sidebar on that. I have always hated how like in every movie ever where somebody's learning how to dance, they're like, just, you know, count it out. One, two, three, one, two, three. And then all of a sudden they know how to dance. It's like, that is not how it works. <laughs> like Even if you're counting with the music and you count the one, two, threes or the one, two, three, fours, that does not mean you can dance. That does not help you dance. It, uh, it's just frustrating. And in the, in the screenplay, they had, you know, that line in here. And she was like, one, two, three, one, two, three. And, you know, he steps on her foot. And then one, two, three, one, two, three. Oh, okay, we got it now. So I'm kind of glad they cut that part out because that would have bugged me. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad that's gone too. It was unnecessary. He, I think I think he's more nervous, not because he doesn't know how to dance, but he's more nervous because he's dancing with Belle. Yeah. Everything is riding on it too. Yeah, like this is it, the last. He's down to the wire. But I feel like he's not like, maybe that's in the very back of his mind, but I don't feel like that's what he's thinking about, you know? Like, I don't think he's nervous because he's going to run out of time or he's he's worried about that. Yeah. I think he's like just fully in the moment, you know, falling in love, not concerned about, about what's going to happen to him or his castle. And I think that's why, you yeah. know, he can let go so easily later on, you know, because he really truly loves her and he's not worried about himself at all. So he's like, you know, go ahead and go and leave. And everybody else is like, what? What are you talking about? Like, we got this. What about us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's getting a little ahead but yeah all right so you wanted to go up to the ceiling well my only note on the ceiling is that uh, i don't like the creepy cherubs i never really liked them or understood why we needed them and they're kind of weird because they're looking and then like they move positions and like wink at each other and then they yeah they're like pointing and watching so yeah, but that's it's like, so is the cute. painting alive? Is this like pre-Harry Potter like, <laughs> living painting thing going on here? If everything know. else in the castle isn't enchanted, surely the ceiling is as well. Um, I, I actually have so. a lot of notes on all of the ceiling. All right, um, let's hear them. Cherubs were 
really frequently depicted in art of that time period. And I think it's really cute that they made them move. They're like on looking and then like more come and they're all like looking around like, oh, it's so romantic. So cute. I love when it first pans to the ceiling because it's like this grand Baroque ceiling. (laughs) That just made me think of when you say if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. (laughs) When Cogsworth says it, (laughs) you know, this grand Baroque ceiling, which the ceiling part of it looks Baroque and part of it looks neoclassical. So I'm just throwing that out there. And then part of the most of the rest of the ballroom actually looks neoclassical and not Baroque. But anyways, so the ceiling reminds me of the Sistine Chapel, which was painted by Michelangelo in the 1500s in the Vatican, where the Pope lives in Rome. And they said this is the project that changed the course of Western art and is regarded as one of the major artistic accomplishments of human civilization. So it's like this huge ordeal, this painting on the ceiling. And of course, this is like not that sort of grand scale. It's just some cherubs and some clouds. But I was wondering, I couldn't, I didn't have a ton of time, but I could not find anything about like how common it was to have ceilings painted in such a grand way. And two, for the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo built like a custom, oh my gosh, scaffold. He built a custom scaffolding to paint the ceiling. And the ceiling isn't that high comparatively, but he stood on the scaffolding looking up to paint it. So then I'm thinking, we talked earlier about the windows and the grand scale of the ballroom and how high it is. And I'm thinking like, how on earth (laughs) did they get up there to paint that ceiling? And at that time, well, So the Sistine Chapel was the 1500s. So it was a little bit earlier. It was before they had oil paints. So they were still using, um, oh my gosh. See, this is what I'm talking about where my mind leaves me. The pasty stuff. What's it called? No. Um, they put it stucco. They're still using like stucco painting to paint the ceilings. So I don't know, but they did have oil paints by the time that, you know, the 1800s late 1700s they did have oil paintings but still i just like can't imagine how they could have like gotten up there to paint that yeah the the official dimensions of the ballroom since they did it in a computer we have like actual dimensions oh sweet so it's it's 72 feet high 184 feet long and 126 feet wide with 28 windows and the dome itself is 86 feet by 61 feet and the the mural that we see was actually hand painted and then texture mapped using the computer onto the you know into the into the film that we see so what did they use to hand paint it their oil paints watercolors Do you know what I'm saying? Like, was it, did they hand paint it with oil paint though? You're talking about in the beast world. Uh, no, I'm talking about in real life when they painted it by hand. Oh, crayons? I don't know. Oh. What do they use? <laughs> crayons. <laughs> Markers, pins. That's what I'm saying. Like, what, did they paint it with oils or did they paint it? I don't think it was watercolors. It could have been watercolors. Yeah, it was probably oils. Is it because it looks different than the animation of the cartoons that you're like, it wasn't what they used? to animate the cartoons no i'm just saying the same one i mean disney has all their own like custom paint colors and stuff so it's probably that stuff (laughs) i'm pretty sure i watched a thing about snow white before like an Mm -hmm. in-depth thing about the movie about snow white and i'm pretty sure they were using ink and watercolor like Hmm. a thick like a thick more opaque watercolor actually i went to art school 
And in art school, my drawing teacher was an animator and he worked for Hanna-Barbera, um, which is another animation company that made cartoons back in the day. Really awesome cartoons. But he would tell us the coolest stories about this person and this and that and these techniques and, you know, this is why you do this. And I learned a ton from him. And that was like such a cool experience to learn how they used like layers of clear sheets with like one image on them to yeah. create the depth, to build the depth and then like flip through them and move them, move the clear layers to make things move. That was so cool. Back in the day. Oh, speaking of that, <laughs> back in the day with the ceiling, <laughs> Bobby said like he's always been creeped out by the cherubs and doesn't know why they're there. I think they're there because, you know, they're like the cupids and this is the love scene and it could even be like a point back to Fantasia where there were a bunch of cherubs that like set up. I don't know if you guys know about that, but they were like the love matchmakers of the centaurs and the centaurs. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. So it could even be like a point back to a previous Disney, you know, yeah. piece. They're, they're approving. That's good. So I have some notes on, on cherubs and, and cupids and stuff. So when I was looking up the cherubs, the a lot of people, well, there was a lot of information like a cherub is like in the Bible and the scriptures and they're more like angels and they're not like the cute baby babies with wings that like came later on. But what was first that were cute babies with wings were called, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but it's P-U-T-T-I, Pudi maybe? I don't know. It's Greek and it was from Greco, Greco-Roman art. And so they're the little cupids or something or they help Cupid. And so they are associated with peace, prosperity, leisure, and of course, love. So there's... They might not be cherubs. They might be pooties instead. It's just a little, <laughs> little technical term there. but Well, I think too, pooty and cherubs are the same thing. But like cherubim from the Bible is different than cherubs. Mm. But really, the artists, not the artist, but artists in general are the ones who sort of took their own because all art started out as religious back to the beginning of time the art that was made was for religious purposes for god worship or you know deity worship or whatever it was religious all the way up until the renaissance period around like so around like the 1400s 1500s is when they finally started making some art like a rich person would commission the artist to make some you know a painting of them but that was even just okay you've got rich people and then you've got religious art and that's still all there was for still a long time until they started painting things like landscapes and stuff like that paintings for the common man well or just things that the artist wanted to paint because the painting supplies and materials were really expensive. So they would usually be commissioned to paint something before they even had the materials to paint whatever they were painting. So the artists, like the cherubs started out as like a vision of angels, but then it sort of like transformed more into like it left the the Christian religious, religious well not the re, not religion entirely entirely because Cupid is is a Greek god or a Roman god so it's I mean that's religious as well but it left Christianity and sort of moved more towards like the Greek and Roman god Cupid and you know being cute and everything like that 
Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, so, I took a lot of art history. I had three years of art history. <laughs> <laughs> You're finally putting it to use. And well, I never I get to talk about like it. Him. <laughs> <laughs> I love art history. It's so cool. I thought it was interesting how, I mean, it would have been one thing to have the cubits up there, but the fact that they move and they move at a different rate, like you can actually see, I mean, there's three frames worth of them and they have like a slow yeah. fade. So they they can't move very fast. And so it's, it's like, it makes a lot of questions and it's kind of strange. Like Bobby said, is this like Harry Potter? Is the, I feel like, and this is proof of it, that the castle itself is actually alive. Like all the objects in, in it are alive. And I feel like the castle itself is alive. So you have different parts of the castle are affected differently by the by the curse. Because, I mean, obviously, we're not looking at demons up here on the ceiling. You know, some parts of the castle stay good. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then other parts, especially the outside, you know, turned, you know, evil, so to speak. And so I feel like maybe either there was some parts of the castle where there was just more good things associated with that, like dancing, everything's happy in the ballroom. So that part of the castle, you know, stays stayed happier or stayed more itself and then of other parts of the castle especially maybe where the beast was more uh turned more evil with the gargoyles and things to where that was yeah maybe where he was around more and more of that kind of bad presence was well what if the animation of the castle you know the heart and soul of the castle transforms as the beast transforms so as his heart softens you know the rest of the castle softens yes. maybe the cherubs were dragons before <laughs> would have been better <laughs> uh, seriously though if you had all these dragons and gargoyles up there like watching them dance like glowering at them and ready to remind them that they're about to be trapped as a beast forever if he doesn't seal the deal <laughs> yeah but how would Belle feel Ooh, i wouldn't feel good about that <laughs> she's not looking anywhere besides the beast's eyes anyway <laughs> yeah well that's all i have for this minute guys cool i have, I have one last note on the chandelier because we we see it one last time and i just really wanted to talk about it because it's huge and it has candles on it and there's a million of them so i'm like well how many are there there's uh oh i thought i wrote it down oh yeah i did there's 84 candles on the chandelier it has wow. four levels the top level so each there's uh 12 arms it's 12 sided chandelier I don't know if that's a fancy name in chandelier language, but there's 12, 12 arms that come off each layer and there's four different layers. And so wow. you count them all up and that's 84 candles. And then you have the crystal ball down at the bottom. So first of all, this thing's got to be huge. Second of all, if they're magic, then they can just light themselves. But when this castle's not animated, like they got to lower this thing down and light all those candles and then raise it back up. Like that's like a huge deal, man. And there's no chain going off of it to lower it down. It's got to be the chain holding. It's got to like go. Up yeah, it's got to be like a like pulley a system. Some sort of contraction. Either yeah. that or they got some really tall ladders. I don't know. Well, they painted <laughs> the ceiling, so. <laughs> Bust out the ceiling painting ladders to light the chandelier. But yeah, that's all. Sweet. It is a really impressive chandelier. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Alrighty. Uh, anybody have anything else? Nope. No, not really. I mean, we we pretty much covered everything. Yeah. Huh? Awesome. Well, thank you guys, everybody, for being here for this minute, minute 61 of Beauty and the Beast. Oh, thank you guys for having us. I feel like we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I'm glad you guys could all come. So I'm not here talking about it. All by myself, because <laughs> <laughs> Janae <laughs> couldn't make it. So yeah, 
nobody has anything to go check them out on uh johnny mckenzie i haven't started their their k-drama podcast yet so we'll all be looking forward to that (laughs) (laughs) and then i guess if you want to check out carrie you can head over to the growler media website where this podcast lives also that is where the lds dating podcast lives and so you can hear the i believe it's 30 some odd episodes uh that we have up over there of dating advice uh that carrie and i talked about together and usually she would give good advice and i would uh contradict that advice (laughs) with not so great advice We had differing opinions. Yes. Um, so if you want to hear more of her, go and check out those episodes over there. And in the meantime, before next episode, if you want to get a hold of us, us being me and Janae, you can do so on our social media websites. We are on all the social medias. Just look for Beastly Minute and you will find us. Be sure to head over and check out Duo Hansen, who does our theme music. We want to thank them for doing that. And we want to thank Megan, the cartoonist, who did our album artwork you can find her on facebook just search megan the cartoonist and until next time ever as before ever just as sure we'll be back next time Should I, Johnny? Is that bad? (laughs) I don't want more work. I don't like working. I feel like the Downton Abbey theme song is about to play. Is like Mrs. Potts controlling the cart with the force? The, the finished episode that you guys are hearing, I actually spent like six hours on it <laughs> with the prep time, recording time, editing, and publishing. And then I counted how many flowers are in the center <gasps> of the table, and oh. there are 21. What? Whoa, oh. oh, that's intense. Birthday flowers. That's pretty cool. Told you. <laughs> Underage drinking. Just like this bar of soap is gone, <laughs> so is your human life. <laughs> <laughs> the the computer man and the computer animated Milan's not a princess so what did they use to hand paint it their hands i'm keeping your bones <laughs>